0: So as I mentioned at the beginning of worship, we are beginning a new sermon series today called Modern Biblical Family. I don't know how many of you have seen the television series on ABC, Modern Family, but to be honest, it's like many shows today and many other political and social and media forces out there that are trying to get us to redefine family. And the question is, as Christians, should we accept these revisionist views on marriage and sexuality and gender? And should we? Because, you know, it's the loving thing to do, right? Or so we're told. It's very, very confusing. We live in very confusing times. And maybe we think to ourselves, well, you know, if this doesn't affect me, does it really matter? But it does. Friends, we are losing our humanity. And all of this thinking that has brought our society to this point, whether we realize it or not, it has infected all of us. So over the next next few weeks in this series, we're going to take on some very difficult and sensitive topics. What I promise you is this, that we will be truthful and honest, that we will also use decorum as we discuss these things, and that we will be gentle and respectful. Now, maybe some of us are saying, ooh, should I take the kids out right now? Here's the thing. They're already hearing it. They are already being influenced by all of these issues, even from the youngest age, with subtle and not-so-subtle messages that just impact them and hit them constantly. We can't help but shield, we can't insulate them from it. And so here's the deal. If we as a church, and those of you who are parenting these days, if we are not helping our kids navigate through these issues, then television shows like Modern Family and other influences, they will be happy to shape and form their opinions for us. We have to do this, and what we must do is speak the fullness of God's truth in all of its goodness and its beauty. We have good news, and we must above all do it in love. As Paul would say, we must speak the truth in love. If there's one thing we as Christians should admit that we have often spoken the truth without love, and we've done it with a whole lot, we've we've done a whole lot of damage with, oh, I am right about this, and we've done nothing but damage the other person. It's no wonder we are often accused of being so hateful. But on the other hand, you cannot have love without the truth. How many of you would have someone who loves you and say, it's okay that they lie to me or have falsehood? (laughs) Of course not. We have to speak the truth in love. And this series has really one goal in mind. Redemption. And that's what we all need. We all need healing and forgiveness. We've all got issues. We need to be restored and remade and reordered into the fullness of the image and likeness of God which he created us and which he intends for us. So I'm going to start with a proposal that Christianity makes about who we are. To be human is to be as much body as soul. Now this may sound like a very strange place to start a discussion on family and maybe we're thinking to ourselves that doesn't even sound right but it is. Christianity is a very bodily religion. We are made as both body and soul and God said it is very good. Our bodies are good. Our bodies are not just shells disposable shells that, you know, you can kind of get rid of when you die so that your soul is released. No. Rather, our bodies and our souls are to be fully integrated and in harmony so that we become one person. So you are either some body, I guess, or you are a nobody. And so now we're ready to talk about the question for today. Who am I? All of us ask this question, it is the search for identity. And in these days, we are both confused and yet also obsessed with the discussion around identity. And nowhere has that been punctuated more in the last few years than the entire discussion around gender identity, which is very interesting because the data shows that a fraction of 1% of the population is dealing with this issue. But again, I would say to you that it affects all of us because it touches on much deeper issues about who we are as human beings and what it means to be a man or a woman and the thinking that we have on all of these issues. So for starters, I have a little video I'd like to share with you. So Emily, if you could start the video and hit the lights, I'd appreciate it. So that's what's going on in our world. How do we get here? Gender is at the very heart of who we are in our identity, male or female, right? And what Christianity says and how it answers that question, how we are identified, hopefully we can guess it already, is by the body. But what modern gender identity has done is defined it this way. Each person's internal and individual experience of gender. Do you see the move? Away from the body to the interior. It's internalized. It's how we think or how we feel. I don't know if you remember this guy from back in the day, but Rene Descartes, he's very famous for saying, I think, therefore I, I am, right? So I think I am fill in the blank. Now all I need for that is some kind of a name, which is another important thing for identity, right? Your name. And so what we do is we self-name, and we have an alphabet of names, L, G, B, T, Q, and the list keeps going. Facebook has over 50 gender identities that we can use for our profile. What Descartes helped set in motion is what's called the autonomous self the I. I determine, I define, and I name my reality. I can self-identify. I am, I exist, is what he's saying, because I think. And so that I even rules over the body. I think I am a woman, though I have the body of the man, therefore I am a woman. Now again, we have to be incredibly sensitive And not doubt for one minute that for someone who really truly feels this way, how difficult that would be, that there would be this enormous conflict between the body and the soul, this disharmony. And at a certain level, I think every one of us here can have enormous compassion because we all know what it's like to have your body not be in sync with your soul. That is everyone's spiritual battle. But what's interesting, the proposed solution to this, or one of the proposed solutions, is to alter the body so that it matches how I think and how I feel. Why not change how we think? Why not change the heart? But already I will have been accused, at this point in the homily, of being hateful. Why is that? Because my I and someone else's I are in conflict with each other. It's the battle of wills. My will versus your will. And somebody's got to win that battle. So now what we've done is created identity politics, which is nothing more than forming alliances so that what I can do is impose my will and my identity on you. And I win that battle when you finally accept that. And if you don't accept that, then you're a hater. Or if I don't accept you, I'm a hater. The autonomous self is nothing new, though, really. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve believed the lie that we all believe. We all can identify with this. We all believe that I can be my own God. I can define my own reality. The self is God. I am in control. And we call it pride. Pride says I can be my own God and I don't need to depend on you, God. Think about how in our culture we now celebrate pride. We even have pride parades. But in my pride, when I separate myself from the one who is God, the real God, and I want to do my own little personal God project, and when I separate myself from the one who gives me life and who keeps me alive, then what am I going to get? Death. And what is death? Death is a rupture of body and soul. That's that conflict between body and soul that we all feel because we're all dying. Now, of course, there's another option. The other option is humility. To humble oneself and to say, no, I am going to depend on God and I'm going to receive it all as gift. And I'm going to live. Live. About five years ago, the American Psychiatric Association changed their term from gender disorder to gender dysphoria. And they did it because, and I quote, it removes the connotation that the patient is disordered. Dysphoria, rather, is defined as a state of unease or generalized dissatisfaction with life. In other words, I'm not happy. I have a man's body, but I feel like a woman, or vice versa, and I'm not happy with that. So the proposal is that if that person, and all of us too, if we accept it, then there will be happiness. But the harsh truth is that every one of us is disordered. God created us for life and for love and for unity, for order, but everything has been ruptured by sin. God in us has been ruptured, us in us has been ruptured, us in the creation has been ruptured, and even within us, it's been ruptured, body and soul. And yet, as I thought about it, the word dysphoria is not all bad because as I traced its its etymology, the Greek word literally means hard to bear or carry. I can't imagine how hard it is to bear or to carry gender dysphoria. Such a person is feeling acutely that rupture of body and soul. They are feeling death even as they live. And it's no wonder the data shows that there are high levels of depression and unfortunately even of suicide. But the answer is not accepting it. That's not going to make you happy. Jesus shows up at the Jordan River and John the Baptist says to him words about him words that we repeat every week here at the Eucharist behold the lamb of god who bears and carries the mess the sin of the whole world the son of god is not proud he humbled himself and became a man as we just celebrated during christmas and he took a body Peter would say this about Jesus in his epistle. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. There is the dysphoria. When Jesus takes his body into the murky water of the Jordan River, there's already a whole crowd all around him. A bunch of people trying to figure life out, and and get their lives back on the right track. And what does Jesus do? The sinless, perfect Son of God comes and identifies with them. He gets into the water with them. With us. And then He's identified. The voice from heaven of His Father. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And so from the water of the Jordan... To the tree of Calvary he goes, bearing and carrying the weight of the whole world, all of our wounds, all of our disorder, carrying it all to that cross. And then what happens? Death, rupture, body and soul of the very Son of God. God dies upon the cross and it is finished. It is finished. He puts to death our death. And yet it's not finished because he comes to life, right? All of our disorder, all of our dysfunction, all this stuff is put to death, but he comes to life in resurrection. What does resurrection do? It reorders everything. It recreates everything. Jesus comes out of the grave so that everyone who comes into contact with him, as we will this morning in this Eucharist, we are reordered. We are given new life. When we say those words of John the Baptist, Pastor Davis shouts them out to us, and we come back and say, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you. Say it with me, but only say the word, and I shall be healed. I shall be healed. Here's the answer, friends not self identifying or self naming. Here is the answer. Here is the answer. I If what we think we should do is parade around our pride filled, disordered selves and demand that you accept this mess, no, no. What we must do is humble ourselves, all of us, all of us, and invite others to do it and allow it to get messy, because it's gonna be messy. If we're gonna really have compassion, we can't just tell people what to do and then walk away. We gotta walk with them, it's gonna be messy. But we're all in it together. That's the beauty. And the best part of it is that Jesus is in it with us. He's in the water with us. He's with us. Here is the answer. Here is the answer. Here is the good news that we have for the world. We can't force them to listen, but we can keep proposing and proposing and proposing with love. We're not God. Newsflash: You are not God. I am not God. Nobody here came. Nobody here came to life because you said to yourself, "I think I'll be born today." It's all gift. It is all gift from God through your parents, who, by the way, gave you another gift. They gave you a name, an identity, and in your baptism, then. That name, that given name, is called out. Spencer Allen, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As the water is applied to the body, the name of God is applied to us. There is our identity. There is our identity. It is only when you come to believe this in the depths of your heart That what the Father said about Jesus is what he says about each and every one of us. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you accept that name and that identity, you will find happiness. True happiness. Let's stand and confess our baptismal faith in the words of the